Now for the rest of us, normally you're used to me saying you can open up your Bible to a particular passage that we're going to walk through because that is the norm for us. Um, but today that is not uh, what we are doing. Um, I'm going to be frank with you. This is um, this was kind of a caught between Sunday that I um, maybe had a little bit of a panic and freak out this week about. Um, next week, we are starting a series in the book of James. So I do want to mention that, that we're going to go through um, the book of James together. I'm very excited about that. One of the things that we have is... Um, we will have scripture journals. If you've been with us for long, you know that at times we've had those when we go through a book of the Bible. It's just like a little um, journaling book. Like it'll just be James and it'll have um, scripture and then places to write. And, and our hope with that is that if you would like one of those, um, we bought them in bulk and so um, pretty significant discount. And so I think they're like uh, $4 a piece if you would like one. Um, that just covers our cost on it. But um, it's, it's a great tool to have. Um, our hope is that you, as you collect those and as you have those, that you'll be able to look back and see what God did in you through his word, that it's not primarily about sermon outlines or anything, that we want you to go back to God's word and remember what he was stirring in your heart during that time. Um, but it's also a great tool uh, to be able to walk somebody else through the Bible. So as you have opportunities and someone says, hey, I don't know the Bible, could we read it together? That you could say, hey, yeah, why don't we read, um, why don't we read through James? Or um, those of you that have uh, Luke or other ones that we've gone through to be able to read through those together. So that's our hope with that. Um, and that is starting next week uh, as we will go through James. I expect that'll take us about, uh, I think we're planning six-ish weeks um, but we know how that goes, but I think it'll be somewhere around there this fall. Um, and so today, we, uh, we were, there were a lot of different things, and I actually wrote three different messages for this morning. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to preach them all. That's like, I guess I should say that. I didn't think about that, but I saw the look of horror on people's faces. And um, no, just one. Um, but I was really struggling with it this week. And, and Jeff like, was helpful to th this week. Jeff's always a very calming presence in our office. Um, if I'm like, spazzing out about anything, he'll be like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Um, let's just, you know. And so one of the things that he just encouraged, he's like, um, well, what would, you, what would it look like to help people just kind of go into a new year? And I know it's weird because we think of New Year as January. But most of us, for most of us, our rhythms, I would argue that September feels more like the start of a new year than January. Um, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And certainly those in, in, with kids in school, that's the case. But even when you don't have kids in school, there's something about the summer, the end of the summer, feeling kind of like the end of a season and the start um, of a new season. And I was like, um, I said, well, you just want to give them a pep talk for the fall? Um, and he's like, yeah, man. And, and he started giving me ideas about, like, just encourage them to, like, be salt and light where they are. And he's like, basically, all the stuff that comes out of you, if we just poke you, like, just all that stuff, just, like, share it. And so I was like, well, that's weird. Don't poke me. And, um, but, but it's, there's something to that. And so that was the desire. And so I kind of did that, and I was excited about that. And I got to be honest, this morning I've been really discouraged, leading up to this morning. And I just want you to know, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but I want you to know the, the power of the body gathering together and worshiping together is real. As the Spirit just dwells in us as we minister to one another. Because when I came in here, I, I had the option I could work on the sermon, try to make it better, or just come in here and be with people. And I chose in faith to be in here with you all. And I was encouraged before the service. And then I was encouraged during as you sang 
and I get to listen to the singing and, and join in with the singing and then the blessing of being able to serve communion to my brothers and sisters, it's really a gift. And so I don't know how this morning is going to go, but I know that God is here and he is present. And I know that you are not um, attenders looking for a performance, but you're brothers and sisters, and we're just going to encourage one another in Christ. So let's, let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. Thank you so much for how you have moved in our hearts to this point. Thank you so much, God, for how you have met us here and given us the ability to sing to you and to observe communion together and to pray together and to pray for the kids in our church together. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to be with us and may your name, Jesus, be exalted above every other name. May you do the work that you have set forth to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's my aim. I actually ran into some of my former players. One of them uh, insists on referring to me as Coach J. Actually, several of them refer, insist on referring me to Coach J as Coach J. So if you ever hear that, by the way, and you're like, I thought he was a pastor. Like, yes. But to some, some of the kids in here and some of the youth and, and over the years, they've known me as coach. And I said, it's really fitting because I feel like today is almost like a pregame speech. So when I've shared stories about coaching and all the exploits that have gone on with that, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be coached, uh, like to have me as a coach, you get to experience that this morning, okay? For better or for worse. So this is more of like a pregame, like a pregame speech as you kind of go into the fall. And for some of you, you may be like, well, I don't feel like I'm at pregame. All right, well, it's, then let it be a halftime talk or let it be like a final timeout at the end of the game talk. If you're like, I'm on my way out, this is it. Um, then, then let it be that. Whatever it is, here's what I want. My hope this morning as we kind of set off with a lot of things going on this year for us as a church family and for you individually I want us to just pause and to consider where God has placed us, what he has done in us. And my aim this morning is I want you to see that your everyday life is far more significant than you probably often think. And that God's desire for you to experience joy in that life is more than you could hope for. And what I want to do in that is to just think of in terms of, of a few things, of things that we can do to experience, to see that significance, to believe that, and to experience the joy that he has for us. And the first one is very simple, is just be aware. Be aware that your everyday life is far more significant than you thought. God is working all around you. There are no insignificant days. There are no insignificant interactions. There are no insignificant jobs. Everything you and I do on a daily basis carries with it kingdom significance. And it's not always in the areas you think. We tend to think of some things as being more spiritual than others. We think of some as even spiritual activities and worldly activities and that they don't have anything to do with each other. But everything you do during the day is meant to glorify God and to reflect his image. 
It's one of the incredible theological truths is that we are image bearers of God. We are made in his image. That means that we are meant to reflect something of who God is. I one time attended a work as worship kind of seminar. And in it, they were talking about how our actual labor, like our actual jobs are meant to be worshiped to God. And one of the areas that he talked about was that like, you know, it was this idea of image bearers that in your everyday work in the actual work that you do, you are reflecting the image of God. And so one of the exercises is he said, he like had people brainstorm and say like, okay, what are all the, all the things that we do during the day? What are all, what's all the work that we do? And typically what happens and what happened in this situation is people usually put out job titles of like police officer, doctor, teacher, pastor, lawyer, factory worker, like whatever, and, and, and job titles. And so they, they kind of start with those. And some of those are, are really easy to see. Like if you're a teacher, you can point to like Jesus as a teacher. He's rabbi. And so when I teach, I, I reflect that part of God who teaches us. You know, or if you're a doctor, then we can point to the great physician and how he heals and how our healing and helping people heal here on earth reflects the image of a God who helps us heal. Or if you're a counselor, surely, like God is like our great counselor and comforter or a pastor or a, a police officer or a firefighter. There's so many things that very quickly and easily you say, oh yeah, that, that reflects uh, the image of God as he serves us and protects us and guides us and rescues us and all these different things. And there was a guy there who works on a, worked on a factory line and he said, how does how does this reflect the image of God? I manufacture a piece that goes on a piece that goes on a piece that then is shipped somewhere else and assembled somewhere else to go on something else that I'll never see. What does that have to do with God? And it was amazing as the whole group started talking about how God, God's great care and his orderly design and how he doesn't just make an elephant, but like he designs every bit that goes into that elephant and the care that he takes, how every hair on your head is numbered. And in fact, in so many ways, it's manufacturing and taking great care over that one little piece that will some, in some way be hidden in all these other pieces and a part of this bigger thing is like one of the godliest things that you could possibly do, reflecting the intentionality and the intimacy with which God knows his creation. We all thought, well, that's pretty good. But then a woman said, I changed diapers. Tell me how that reflects God's glory. And this happened to be a young mom who felt like her life had radically changed, that her identity that had been in um, some of the work that she had done and significance in that in school and everything was now being traded and her whole life felt like it was just about making sure that this little being kind of stayed alive and cleaning up messes. And the guy said, you know, that might be the most significant act of all. If your desire, think about it, if your desire is to reflect the image of God, how much better can you do that than when you are changing a diaper? When you are caring for someone who can't understand the depth of your love or the depth of your care or the significance of what you are actually doing, of lowering yourself into their mess, to care for them with gentleness 
and compassion that actually might be the most glorifying act we've mentioned yet. See, everything that we do, every single day of yours and mine is filled with kingdom significance because he's created us to reflect his glory. And the thing that makes things have significance in that way is the presence of Jesus. That's how we practice this awareness of this, to understand the significance, is to remember that Jesus is with us in all those moments. Many of you know, most people know by now, or I remember learning it for the first time and being struck by it, that, that Air Force One isn't actually a plane. I mean, they do have two planes that they refer to as kind of equipped to be Air Force One, but technically Air Force One is a call sign. What makes a plane Air Force One is the fact that the president is on board. If the president's not on board, then it's, it's not Air Force One. So what makes it, what we call it, what makes it Air Force One is the presence of the president. And similarly, what, what makes something sacred is the presence of the divine. Right? So a building is just a building. If God's presence is not here, there is nothing divine happening here. If God's presence is not in your home, there's nothing divine going on there. What makes it sacred, this is not a sacred space. This is a sacred space when the spirit of God is moving and active in here then it's a sacred space, as is your workplace, as is your home. What makes something sacred is the presence of divinity. And the way that we grow in that awareness of kingdom significance and understanding that we are constantly in the sacred is remembering the presence of Christ, or as it's often been said, practicing the presence of Christ. He is with you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he is with you. Not in memory, not in imagination, but in reality, with you. He's with you on the factory line. He is with you in the hospital room. He is with you in the nursery. He is with you in line at the grocery store. He is with you as you watch your kids' soccer game. And because he is with you, every single one of those environments are sacred and have kingdom significance. So if you want to grow in that, I want to encourage you this year to be mindful and practice the presence of Christ. Practice his presence while you make coffee, while you brush your teeth, while you drive to work. And the more you do that, the more you listen to him every day, the more clearly you will hear him when he gives you opportunities to act and respond and join him in his work. Because the biggest obstacle to joining God in his work and for you to, to lay hold of that significance and function in that is, is that we just simply don't recognize it as holy. And that's often because we just aren't really listening to the Spirit. In John 10, Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. Well, actually, in John, sorry, I was going to Matthew. I was, I was skipping ahead to John, to John 5. But in, back, in, in John 10, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me. So be aware. I mean, how often do you say, God, if you want me to do something, if you, if you want me to, to function today, like if you want me to do anything for you, I'll do it. Just tell me plainly. I believe like Jesus would say to us, I, I have. I'm constantly speaking to you through the Spirit. Will you listen? Will you hear my voice? And many of us don't because we feel like we're kind of off-duty and we kind of become these off-duty Christians. I mean, imagine um, being an off-duty firefighter and walking by a raging inferno. So, so Doug's sitting here. Doug, if you don't know Doug, he loves being called out in public. This is awesome. Um, but I, it just spur of the moment here, you happen to be sitting there. Doug is a firefighter. Imagine if we're like walking out the door and like a whole A-wing is just on fire, ablaze. And Doug just like walks by. You're like, hey, Doug, do you notice what's going on there? He's like, no, nah, I'm off duty. Not really paying attention. That'd be really weird, right? And yet so many of us do that as Christians. Like here we understand. Here we're ready. Like here we might be looking around and going around and, and greeting somebody and, and praying and singing and opening our Bibles. Like we're ready because we're on duty. And then the second we walk into our workplace or out that door, we're off the clock. And not even like an intentional, like, well, I'm done with that, but just mind. And our hearts just go to a different place. And all of a sudden, the stresses of the day are more important. Our task list is more important. Football is more important. Our hobbies are more important. And those are the things that come out when we get poked. And yet, we're always on duty. God is always moving. This is the part where Jesus is healing and they were like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. So much of ministry we see in the Gospels was not in formal settings. It was not where you thought it would be. It was along the road, in a crowd, on the way to somewhere important to do other important things. And in fact, we see that that's where God does most of his work are in the places and the environments you'd least expect. The coworker you least expect will be the one to ask for prayer. And the question is, are you aware of that? The errand you least expect may present itself with an opportunity to share the gospel. The interaction you least expect may have the greatest impact. And what would it look like if every day you woke up and you thought, I'm entering the sacred because the Spirit of God is with me. And if you pray, God, let me be aware of what you are doing around me that I might get to join in. So be aware. But if you're aware acknowledging that you're aware that A-wing is on fire is not the same thing as being equipped to do anything about it, right? Like we would much rather have Doug see A-wing on fire. He's going, if, if he and I are competing then at that point to take charge of the situation, you should definitely listen to him because I'm not equipped. I don't know what to do. Like my, my only, like if I saw A-wing on fire, I have one thought in mind, run. Step one, run. Step two, I don't know, refer back to step one. There's, there's nothing else going on there. 
But when you have this awareness, it will add significance, new significance and urgency to wanting to be trained. Like if you start seeing God moving all around you and you start realizing Jesus is with me, then you start saying, okay, Lord, show me how to participate in this. Show me what to do. I'll desire to be equipped. When you read things like Luke 10, when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We say often the problem isn't the work there is to do, like not having enough work to do for, in the kingdom. It's that we don't have enough people to do it. And that's the problem. The same problem then is the same problem we have now. We have too many Christians who just see themselves as off-duty, who think that Jesus is really important in, in certain areas like the church, but not in areas like my work or finances or politic discussions or sports. And we end up a little bit like a farmer who doesn't expect a harvest. I mean, imagine here as we go into the fall that you have a, f- a farmer that looks out at the field one day and is like, oh, like there's stuff grew out there. Like, I don't know. I didn't have any. I wasn't prepared for that. So they have no laborers who know how to go out and harvest it. They don't really understand how to harvest it. They're quickly looking in the farmer's almanac or something else to be like, what do I do? How do I get the corn in here? It would be ridiculous. And yet again, that's how we are. Often surprised when a coworker asks for, for prayer and feeling ill-equipped to help. And so we need to grow in our awareness and expectation that God is moving and then to being equipped. And so that we would see it as valuable and necessary and urgent to develop spiritually and to take time for spiritual training. Paul says to Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so this idea that like if, if this is all going on around you all the time, well then train yourself in godliness. Be trained and equipped and ready and prepared so that as you see what God is doing, you can jump in. <coughs> Imagine if we took that this year and saw, felt the weight of that and turned to Scripture not as just a duty and as something to kind of read, but as something that is useful that it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice it doesn't say that it's all beneficial so that the man of God may be complete knowing everything or having all the right morals. No, it's so that you are equipped for every good work. Let me ask a question. How many of you have been or are currently a lifeguard? I mean, there's a lot of water around here. Seriously, like eight? We are never, like, that makes me much more nervous about last week's baptisms in hindsight. <laughs> Bunch of people being like, I don't know, like, he's flopping around. Um, so, like, listen, if you think about a lifeguard, I mean, like, I guess I'm saying that I've never been a lifeguard. I can barely swim. But imagine you sign up for lifeguard training. Imagine you say, you know what, I want to be a lifeguard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for lifeguard training. You show up to the lifeguard training. The first day, they say, we have two camps. We're training you, and you're going to go one of two places. Some of you are going to be working the Smith's birthday party. 
There's going to be a kiddie pool set up back in the backyard. Everyone will have floaties. And that's where you're going to serve. And the others, we're going to fly you to Australia to work in shark-infested ocean waters that's known for riptides. Now let me ask you, which group is going to take the training more seriously? See, many of us study the Bible and the church like all we're ever being called to do is help out in a backyard kiddie pool. And so we read the Bible. It's kind of theoretical. might be interesting. might learn a new fact. might think about something new. If, we, if it's confusing to us, we just kind of ditch it. But it's not urgent. It's not necessary. Because everybody around me has floaties. And the water's not that dangerous. But look around the world. Look around your community. Tell me the good news of Jesus Christ isn't urgent. Which body of water do you see? And I'm not talking about cultural wars and all this stuff. I'm talking about real people that you work with and experience on a daily basis who are lost and hurting and confused. Which body of water do you see? So let that inform your training. And that training is meant to produce faithfulness. So remember, studying the word is not about gaining knowledge. It's not about having all the answers or being able to fix all the problems or to tell people how they should feel or think and what they're doing is wrong. It's meant to train you in what? In godliness, equipped for every good work. Which means, going back to the awareness and practicing the presence of Jesus, abiding in Jesus, hearing his voice. Training apart from the voice of God is worthless. It's dangerous. But being in Christ and abiding in him as you're reading the Bible, as you're praying, as you're wrestling, as you're seeing him work, that's beautiful. And finally, be resilient. So when you're aware of the significance of the world around you. And when you grow in that understanding and so you're hungry and needing to pray and asking God to help you and strengthen you, when you start seeing like, man, if I'm going to love these people well, then I've got to get rid of some of this junk in my own heart of judgment and self-righteousness and all these different things. Like, I've got I've to purge this from my heart. I don't want it because that's impacting this. And, and as you feel that and, and feel like the, the weight of what's going on around you, the kingdom significance in your training involved, inevitably it's going to be accompanied by the pressure to perform. I see this all the time. I see a lot of people in our church who buy into this. They're saying, yeah, I see kingdom significance all around me. And I'm training, like I'm, I'm hungry for the word and I'm growing in this. But then I often see this weight that is crushing, feeling like I didn't do enough. I missed this opportunity. I messed this up. I didn't say the right thing over here. When things don't go right, we get discouraged. Listen, first you got to understand you're not alone. I've never met anyone who has any level of spiritual maturity who feels like they're just nailing it every day. That doesn't feel like they've missed opportunities. It doesn't wish that they could have a different an, an interaction back. 
You're not alone. But even when we don't miss them, even when we recognize them, it doesn't always go the way we think we will. We don't always get like sitcom endings or, or Hallmark movie plot lines. Right? Like you, you, you're going to bless people who will end up cursing you. You're going to sacrificially try to help people who will take advantage of you or reject you. And we wonder at those times, is it worth it? Or what did I do wrong? And that pressure and that discouragement piles on. And yet at the same time, we read that Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we wonder, what am I missing? Because according to Jesus, abiding in him brings rest to my soul and joy and abundant life. But what I feel is this constant pressure to say the right thing, do the right thing, act in the right way. And let me just tell you something really clearly. That pressure that you feel to perform, it is from you and it is from the enemy. It is not from Jesus. This is a, something that radically changed my life in ministry, was understanding this. I thought the pressure that I felt to share the gospel properly and everything was, was God saying, hey, I gave you another opportunity. Come on, where were you that time? Come on, do better. It took me a long time to realize that is not the voice of the Spirit. And then I realized that following Jesus and being prepared and being equipped, even though on one hand it's very much like being in shark-infested waters with big riptides, it's also a lot like Little League baseball. This is the coach part. So in Little League, you have a couple types of kids who go up to the plate. Ones who like to swing and ones who don't like to swing. And as a coach, all you want them to do is swing. And I've had multiple kids like this over the years where they just don't swing. They go up there and they just hope they get four balls and they get to walk to first base or they hope they don't get three strikes and they just stand there. And, and I'm always saying, please, like, what is wrong? And one time I had a kid who was really honest with me. I said, hey, buddy, why don't you swing? Usually I get like, oh, it was a bad pitch. Oh, the fly bit me. Like, oh, like whatever. But this, this kid just looked at me all of a sudden at this moment of honesty, just looked at me and said, I'm scared. I said, what are you scared of? So I'm scared I'm going to miss. And in a Holy Spirit moment, I responded to him, oh, buddy, you're definitely going to miss. Like, <laughs> you've swung like three times the entire year, and those were all three in a batting cage. Like, you're definitely going to miss. But I said, here's what I want you to do. Next time you go up to the plate, I just want you to swing three straight times. I don't care where the ball is. I don't care if it's 15 feet over your head. I don't care if the pitcher, like, drops it, and he never even threw the pitch. I want you to swing. And so he did. One time he went up there and he swung every pitch and he missed the ball by five feet every time at least. And I was delighted. I had a huge smile on my face. I felt like he'd hit a home run. So follow this train of thought. Every day, God is already working. It's his work. He's the one that's doing it. He is at work. And every day, he is inviting you, his beloved son or daughter, to join him and participate in the work. And in that, because you're a beloved son and daughter, like you want to be equipped to help, like you want to be a part of that. And he's going to show you how to do that so that you can participate in his joyful work. 
He's putting you forward to the plate and he's saying, hey, just swing. And sometimes you swing and you miss badly. And sometimes you swing and you hit the ball, but it gets caught. And sometimes you hit the ball hard and it goes over the fence. And each time he smiles at you the same way. Because the act of faithfulness is swinging. The results are all up to him. If I could just impart one thing as you go into this fall, and so many of you are in situations where you are desiring to be missional in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and I've been so encouraged by that. If there's one thing I want to encourage you with is that you would get this into your head, that it is not the result of the swing that matters. It is the swing. It is the faith to believe that God is working, to not hide your talents and bury them, but to just say, okay, here you go. And as you swing, guess what? That helps in the equipping because you get to say like, hey, how about next time have your eyes open when you swing, right? <laughs> next time, let's face the pitcher. Like, that would be good. Like, just could be little things like that. Maybe you're left-handed. Like, you know, all kinds of things that pop into my head as a coach. That's what happens. Your faithfulness matters even when you don't see fruit. I want to say that again. Your faithfulness matters even when you don't see fruit. Because the faithfulness is what he, me what he measures and what he desires and what brings his good pleasure. And it's worth it. It's so much fun. Like it can feel heavy to have every moment feel significant, but it also is freeing to know that Christ is with you and that he's just saying like, hey, come on, swing again. Let's go after it again. It's this constant pursuit of this treasure hidden in a field, not of this list of things that you did wrong and that you failed and that you should have done better. Like that's never the voice of the Father. And something switches inside of a kid who's playing baseball when they realize that swinging is fun. Like they look forward to the next opportunity. And that's what happened to me. Once I realized that God was sovereign over the work, that my job was to swing, to love, love people the best that I can, to pray for them the best that I can, to try to meet needs the best that I can, to not put on myself the weight of being Jesus. Like it's not my job to get them saved or to make them pray a prayer or to present everything in the exact right way or to pray or to pray the right prayer for them or to like any of those things. It is just be faithful and engage and trust that he is right there with you, helping you, empowering you, and that he's already done the work. So don't grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And by the way, one of the greatest helps in perseverance is community. And I just want to throw this out. This is going to be a little bit of an emphasis this year is trying to get people involved in community because we have so many new people. But I'm just going to read from Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you're going to be aware and you're going to be equipped 
and you're going to persevere, you're going to need community to do all that. You can't do that on your own. You weren't designed to do that on your own. And in all my years of ministry, I would say the number one thing people complain about is feeling alone and disconnected. And the number one hardest thing for all pastors to get their people to do is to not be alone and disconnected. I think the reason why is because it takes time. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. We have limited amounts of time and energy. And so we guard it. And so we say like, okay, but I want it to be really efficient. And community isn't efficient. Community is messy. Community has people that that annoy you and that like offer you advice that you don't really want and do things that, that drive you crazy and then and it takes time and there, there are conversations that don't feel like they go anywhere and then all of a sudden there is, but I'm telling you this, that the people in our church that have had that will testify that, man, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have people who are bearing these burdens with me, who are praying for me, who are lifting me up, who are celebrating with me when I get to share the gospel with my coworker or when they come to church with me or, or who are praying for me and, and encouraging me when I feel discouraged because I feel like I messed everything up and reminding me that my good father loves me and is just wanting me to be faithful. That's what community does. It's community that will lift you up in prayer and rejoice and weep with you. So I just want to encourage that, whether it's through area lunch or filling out a card and asking for help or connecting with somebody, whether you're in a Bible study or in a gospel community, whatever it is, understand that if you want to be aware of what God is doing around you and if you want to be equipped in that and if you want to persevere and be resilient, that won't happen apart from being immersed with the people of God. So that's, that's the pep talk. Be aware. Be equipped and prepared in his word. And be resilient, feeling the good pleasure of your father who loves that you're being faithful and is offering you more gifts and more opportunities to do that. Imagine being aware every day of his presence and his work. Imagine growing in your ability to join him in that work, and imagine experiencing the joy of your father that comes not from when you produce, but when you have the faith to swing. That is a life of significance. That is a life of exceeding joy. It's a life that doesn't get caught up in the weeds of insignificant, silly things, irreverent, silly myths. It's a life that doesn't get knocked off course or surprised by the enemy's attacks and lies. It's a life that is free over the power of discouragement. And day by day, abiding in Jesus, listening to him and hearing his voice through word and through prayer and seeing him and experiencing his work will lead to incredible joy. So this could be the year for that. We become more aware and practice his presence every day. Where your desire for his word grows deeply. Where you build true community and you abide in him. And all of it is right in front of you. Not a single thing has to change about your circumstances to do this. I mean, things will change around like how we function and how we interact and maybe conversation, conversations we have, but you don't need a new job. You don't need a new house. You don't need different kids or a different boss. Right? 
You can do all of this right where you are. So be aware, he is working. Be equipped, he'll give you opportunities. Be resilient, your identity is in Christ and it is his work. Faithfulness is the goal. And do it together. God's family on mission for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, we, we are constantly walking in this tension where we know for some of us, we just need to be aware. And for others of us, we are overly aware. We feel the weight everywhere of our surroundings. God, let us be more aware, but also let us trust in you in that awareness. Let us be reminded that you are equipping us for every good work, that our responsibility is not to save the world, that our ability is not to change lives or to give new hearts. That is all your work. And we know it is your work because that's the work you've done in us. That you rescued us. That you loved us. You miraculously saved us. And we know you are continuing in that work. And we know you are doing it all around us. Let us be aware of that. God, forgive us for how we get distracted by the things that are actually temporal and insignificant. And we miss kingdom things. Lord, let us do all things to your glory. Let us be mindful of your presence and your work. Let us dig into your word, into prayer, into our spiritual training with a joyful urgency, excited to take part in what you're doing, excited to see the fruit, trusting you for all of it and encouraging one another and stirring one another up to those good works more and more, even more and more and more as the day approaches. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.